Hello, buddies, fellow Franco fans. Welcome once again to the Franco Observer. I am your host, Jason Rudy, from Desperate Visions Productions. At Desperate Visions Productions, uh, a filmmaker, photographer, camera operator, editor, script writer, everything like that. That's why one reason why I admire Just Franco so much, as he was camera operator, writer, did some producing, and of course directing, and acting. So he uh, wore the hat of many professions. Um, in this episode, this is episode eight of the Franco Observer, and on this we are doing the American title of Barbed Wire Dolls, and this is film number 68 from Jess Franco. Uh, This is the 68th film in his filmography as a director. Let me remove my glasses so I could read here. This is, um, the USA theatrical title is Barbed Wire Dolls. It uh, is Switzerland and Italy, 1975. The original theatrical title in the country of origin, Fraugen und Fagens, and it translates to women's prison. The uh, Switzerland-French title is Femmes in Cage, Femmes in Cage. Um, The Italian theatrical title is Penitenzario Femminile per Reati Sensuali. And that is female prison for sexual offenses. And the alternative titles, the UK theatrical alter, alternative title is Caged Women. Um, <clears throat> other versions for this is uh, El Reformatorio de la Perdidas, the, ref, the Reformatory for the Lost, and uh, Women's Prison for Sexual Atonements. And Femmes in Cage, Caged Women, Greed Behind Bars, Dolls Behind Bars was a U.S. 42nd Street Billboard title. One of the many different versions, I'm sure, um, a retitling. Uh, Girls Behind Bars, Caged Women. Unconfirmed titles, Escape from the Island of Perversion. And the, the production company for this was Elite Films out of Zurich. Uh, the theatrical distributors was Avis Filmverleck, uh, West Germany. Uh, the Los Angeles theatrical distributor was Burbank International Pictures. Never heard of them before. Burbank International Pictures out of Los Angeles. And for London, it's Miracle Films. And it's not the Miracle Films. That's the joke in Roger Corman, where if it's a miracle, it's a miracle film. Um, this was the first film that uh, Jess Franco did for Erwin C. Dietrich. Uh, they signed the contract together in, on, on August 2nd of 1975. And, uh, I'm sorry, August 12th. And then he signed the contract to begin uh, this first film. And the location shooting in Antibes was August 18th to the 25th of 75. Location shooting in Nice was August 26th to the 30th. So basically 18 to 30, that's 12 days there in Antibes and Nice. And then they shot uh, on sets in Zurich in September. So probably another three or four days. So uh, 12 is 15. So maybe like 15, 16, 17 day shoot. Uh, They got the certificate, Germany, in April of uh, 1976. And it played Germany in April of 23rd of 1976 and it was rejected in the UK by the BBFC in August 25th of 1976 and it played in Switzerland in September 17th of 76 in Zurich in Switzerland in October 3rd of 76 and the UK local gave it an X certificate issued for certain um, towns around that was February of 77 and played London in April 77 uh, Fasano, Italy in April 77 Turin in June of 77 Miami 
finally played the United States in Miami on February 17th of 78, and then played the beautiful, um, romanticized New York and 42nd Street in the United States on October 27th of 1978, and then played in Canada August 24th of 79, and Sao Paulo, Brazil on May 5th of 1980. Theatrical running times, Germany, 77, 77 minutes, 55 seconds. The UK, 63 minutes, 43 seconds. Um, UK running time is 62.32. <clears throat> and the Ascot Elite is 80 minutes, 59 seconds. Once again, the director is Jess Franco, producer Erwin C. Dietrich, and Elite Films Productions. Elite Film was Erwin C. Dietrich's company. Uh, World Sales was Elite Films, Zurich. Screenplay was by Jess Franco. Director of Photography was Jess Franco. Uh, he's billed here as David Kuhn, K-H-U-N-N-E. Um, script Girl is Connie Grau. Production Manager in Switzerland is Paul Grau. Uh, let's see. That's cool. Uh, husband and wife, I would guess, or brother sister. Uh, Dialogue Sync Director is Peter Baumgartner. Editors, Peter Baumgartner and Marie-Louise Bouchet. Dialogue is Christine Lambach. Sound is Klaus Kunzmüller and Hurbutus Schamontrek. As Hurbutus Schamontke. Music is Daniel J. White and Walter Baumgartner. Music producers, Carousel and VIP Music Verlag in Zurich. Produced in Elite Film Studios in Zurich. And assistant director is Gerald Cazell. Um, I went over the cast in the review part coming up, but I'll still kind of do a brief one here. Cast Lena Rume as Maria de Guerra, prisoner. Paul Mueller as Carlos Costa, also known as Dr. Moore. Monica Swim as the directress or the wardess or the wardress. Roger Darton, his excellency, the governor. Ronald Weiss plays older bearded guard. Martine Steedle plays Bertha Marcos, the prisoner who killed her brother. Eric Falk plays Nestor, the head guard. Peggy Markoff plays Ingrid. She's a, uh, a prisoner, also known as Queen Isabella. Ramon Ardid plays Jose, the younger bearded guard. Vinny Cardoso plays Rosa, the deranged prisoner. All right. Uh, the version we watched was the full moon release of it. And that was part of the Erwin C. Dietrich collection of Full Moon, the 10 film set. Um, so that was where we watched that one from. That's probably the most economical. I believe there may be a version through the Golden Goya collection. I'm not sure. Um, our listeners out there, if you know the answer, you can always email me at francoobserver at yahoo.com and let me know about that. Um, what we want to do on this one is, since this is the first film that Jess Franco did for producer Erwin C. Dietrich, and uh, since he did 15 films for him, upon research, the best research I found was in the Flowers of Perversion, The Delirious Cinema of Jesus Franco, Volume 2 by Stephen Thrower, and I always recommend these books so highly. Uh, I get a lot of good research out of here and such. So I'm going to read some of the uh, stuff he wrote about him and Dietrich. Um, not all of it, just kind of let you know where he was coming from in that. So Jess Franco says, After finishing Midnight Party, Dietrich wanted to meet me because he wanted to work with me. So we did Barbed Wire Dolls with Dietrich as co-producer. I had a few problems with the Lesseur brothers over that film. They had invested in the movie and owed the French rights, and owned the French rights, Dietrich was very late in delivering the movie to them because he feared that they would sell the foreign rights before he did. Once the rights were sold, he sent the film to them, thinking that he didn't owe them anything because of the tiny sum invested. <clears throat> so, here's the production notes. Come the spring of 1975, Franco was growing restless. He had a long line of projects he wanted to make, but his regular producers were struggling to keep up. Robert de Nessel's Paris-based company... Comptour Francais de Film Production was in serious financial difficulty. It would bankroll no films at all in 1975, just one in 1976. 
which was a hardcore porn film called Fairy Sexuelles, also known as Thoroughly Modern Mary Magdalene by Alan Payette, and one more in 1977, Payette's Cocktail Porno. Franco's regular producers, Eurocene, continued to operate, but he needed other options. The reasons for this are only partially ascribable to wanderlust. It seems, judging by what happened next, that Franco's financial position was getting more and more fraught, and he badly needed new sources of revenue. His own production venture, Manacoa Films, had failed to gain any traction. The Silence of the Tombs, made in 1972, didn't find distribution until 1976. The Sinister Eyes of Dr. Orloff, made in 1973, didn't see release until 1978. And three more Manacoa productions, Relax Baby, The Mystery of Castillo Rojo, and La Casa del Erojorocado, were abandoned and unfinished. What Franco really needed was a new business associate, a dynamic, financially robust producer with a thirst for lots of new product. The answer to his prayers came in the form of the Swiss director-producer who'd recently picked up Midnight Party for German and Italian distribution, Erwin C. Dietrich. It's difficult to pinpoint exactly when Franco and Dietrich first met, but it must have been before June 1975, because shooting on Dietrich's Rolls-Royce Baby, a sex film starring Lena Romay, was already finished by then. Bearing in mind the speed at which both men worked, it's highly... I mean, excuse me. It's it's likely that they that they met in either late April or May 1975 when Romay signing up for Rolls-Royce Baby immediately afterwards. Also present when Franco and Dietrich first met was Italian producer Mario Alabiso, who would get himself involved with Franco a few months later on a highly problematic and ultimately aborted project, which was Mandinga. Uh, okay, let's see. Let's go over the history of... Dietrich and everything that he did. Um, by 1975, Dietrich had directed somewhere in the range of 30 films, while his producer credits ran in the mid-40s. Not surprisingly, he was beginning to tire. What he really wanted was for someone to take over the creative side of things while he concentrated on the business end. So when Jess Franco appeared on the scene, it was a classic case of plug meat socket. Franco needed solid financial backing. Dietrich needed a workaholic director to fill up his production slate. The result was an association that would carry Franco through the next two and a half years, during which he directed some of his most striking and shocking films. His astonishing work rate and ability to nail dark and dirty subject matter made him a powerhouse player for elite films. With Dietrich's backing, Franco concentrated on his favorite erotic recipe, sex and sadism. The lid was off Franco's fantasies and what slithered from his imagination during his Swiss sojourn could still shock some viewers today. The first film on the slate was Frauen Gefragnis, better known as English speakers as Barbed Wire Dolls, a woman in prison story in the vein of 99 women. It bore similarities to a script written Franco had been working on with Alan Petit. Jess Franco, armed with his script, pitched the film to Dietrich, and Dietrich was all inners. Dietrich says, Franco told me that he intended to shoot a film in the south of France entitled Fraugen Frogsness. He needed some money and someone who could take over post-production costs. It took him only an hour to convince me and get all the money he needed. He would send all his material to my laboratory. I also paid for the entire post-production in our Berlin studios. Having beguiled Dietrich to the women in prison script, Franco signed a contract with Elite Films on August 12, 1975, to make a total of th three films in the south of France during the same production f block. Films in Cages, which would become Barbed Wire Dolls, Cisoe et Porno Velle, which would become Downtown, and Des Mines Block sur le Pinois. What this latter film was intended to be is unclear. It's possible that it relates to the film we know today as the as the slaves or slaves Dislavenine, which Franco began shooting during this production period but didn't finish until nineteen seventy seven. By that time the original title had been translated into German and was given to the unrelated Franco Dietrich film Weishand und Schwarzen Schneikelin. That's white skin, black thighs. Um, 
With Dietrich's financial support in the bank, Franco gathered his associates, shouldered his camera, and headed off for Fort Carre on the outskirts of Antibes to begin shooting barbed wire dolls. The chief villain of the film, a sadistic prison governess, was played by Monica Swim, one of the leading lights of Franco's repertory company. She took to the project with great pleasure and amusement, and she explained to Stephen Thrower in 2016, For barbed wire dolls, all my scenes were shot at the Quet de Azur. A lot of scenes were shot, as you know, in the old Fort Carré de Antibes, but not only the exterior ones. For centuries, that place had been an important strategic military post. Rooms for the troops, apartments for officers, cells for prisoners. You got almost everything there. Jess could dream up the kind of films he had in mind. The place was still property of the state, but there were no more troops, just a handful of military types assuming a permanent presence in a minimal custody. Counting on my serious appearance and my good French, Jess asked me to go with him to win the essential authorization to shoot in that fabulous location. The official version he set up was that we were preparing a film between documentary and fiction about jails for women in South America. Produced by the television Swiss Romande, great subject but tiny budget. Something serious, of course. The Swiss are serious people, aren't they? Apparently the guy in charge had a high opinion of Swiss seriousness. Not only did he give us the precious authorization, the authorities, in, but also there would be nothing to pay in return. It was kind of a miracle. Of course, all the scenes too spicy to, sh- to seem seriously Swiss had to be shot elsewhere. No problem, just had rented a house, ground level plus one floor, with a little garden in Bialuan. It was his base for the period. Lena, Ramon, and I were quartered there with him. Just was the cook. His tortillas were among the best I had ever eaten. Some scenes were shot in the pavilion by Fraugenfragnis. A few months later, it was time for Dietrich to see the results of the sojourn in the Coate d'Azur. And it came as quite a shock. Like Franco's earlier work for Robert de Nesselet, it was rough and ready, with lots of zooms, several shots sliding out of focus, plenty of handheld shakiness, and a general air of being made on the fly. Dietrich was horrified. He says, I saw the film in Berlin and was destroyed. It was blurred, partially out of focus, filmed without additional lighting. Jess himself acted as camera operator. He was horrified that no one had thought to pull out the weeds from the cracks in the concrete at the ruined fort where Franco was using for the prison. For Dietrich, whose own films were models of technical clarity, barbed wire dolls was incomprehensible. The notion that such an erratic film might be said to have a look of its own was inconceivable. Given the norms of the industry and no doubt Dietrich's prior expectations of a director whose films were played commercially in France and Spain for the past 15 years, barbed wire dolls must have seemed to him like a joke, a slap in the face for his money. I thought long and hard whether or not to release the film, he admitted. Franco, however, did not take the Swiss entrepreneur's misgivings lying down. He launched into a passionate defense of his work, claiming that his style more accurately reflected reality and was more in keeping with contemporary trends in cinema. Franco's arguments won the day, and Dietrich agreed to release the film. In 1976, when receipts from West Germany started rolling in, it became clear that you really could put out a movie like this and make money. Whether Franco's theorizing was so much flim-flam, or the expression of a genuine aesthetic outlook was a question he could afford to dismiss. Barbed Dolls was a hit. But if ticket sales allayed Dietrich's aesthetic misgivings, Franco's business approach was becoming more of a problem. In the months before starting work on Barbed Wire Dolls Downtown and Des Moines Blanche Noir, with Dietrich's financial conf- confirmed, with Dietrich's financing confirmed, Franco set about arranging distribution deals unilaterally with two separate Italian companies, Gold International Films and BOS Company selling Italian distribution rights to the as-yet-unmade films in return for advances on the eventual income. With Gold International Films on August 2, 75, he signed a contract for Italian distribution rights on Barbwire Dolls, referred to as Moreches Injualadas in the correspondence. And in September, Dietrich received word from the Rome-based BOS company about a film Frank was selling to them as Violence Erotica in the Femini Carciere, X Fims and Cage. This too was barbed wire dolls. Franco must have known that he would be found out because in the contract with GIF, he undertook to inform the joint rights holder, Dietrich's Elite Films, about the deal 
In a letter to Anne Kroganali Hansen of BOS Company, he wrote, For this offer to be valid will require the approval of elite films of Zurich. And yet it's blatantly obvious that he did not, in fact, discuss these sales with Dietrich because on September 23, 1975, he was asked by Dietrich to sign a contract with the following rather mind-boggling clause. Mr. Jess Frankel will not carry out illegal sales such as those to BOS. Note that the enshrines in writing an admission of guilt on Frankel's part. What on earth was Franco doing? His actions seemed so reckless. He had a brand new producer and a slate of new projects, yet he chose to risk his personal reputation and his relationship with Dietrich in search of extra money. What's more, he did so in circumstances that would surely have known would lead to discovery sooner or later. Franco was not a greedy man, and he was certainly no fool, so the only explanation that makes sense of his behavior is debt. And was, as would become clear to Dietrich during 1976, Franco had mounting financial problems requiring urgent attention. His deal with GIF would have netted him something in the region of 30 million lira, roughly 10,000 pounds at the time. Either Franco needed it immediately to pay off an angry creditor, or else he intended to use it to mount another production, which could then be sold for even more. Either way, his actions behind Dietrich's back were erratic and disordered. Perhaps with an element of panic, he was settling... He was setting for quick fixes. I'm sorry, he was settling for quick fixes that would only see more trouble further down the line. A reviewer here, Stephen Thor, talks about Eric Falk um, and his role as the as the uh, prison one of the prison guards. And he says uh, one funny thing I want to throw in here. One last thing, and I may be wrong, but I suspect he's been dubbed by a black actor in the English version. Could it be Hong Kong Fui voice artist Scatman Crothers? Yeah, in the film, when we were watching it, um, the person who dubs Eric Falk, the person who dubs Paul Mueller, and the governor, not as much, but those two, they go in and out of accent. And uh, Eric Falk, they definitely do an accent, and then it changes back partway through. And uh, the American voice does sound like an African-American actor. So uh, I was, that's interesting that he says Scatman Crothers. We've got to listen. Uh, Franco on screen. Yeah, just Franco has a very interesting cameo on this. He plays uh, Lena Romay's character's um, father who is molesting his daughter. So what to say about this? One of Franco's most jaw-dropping cameos. He plays a father who forces himself upon his daughter, Lena Romay, in the, in the heat of incestuous lust. This alone would be striking enough, but the sleaziness is giving a shot of pure lunacy by Franco's decision to save on film stock by acting the scene in, quote-unquote, slow motion, while running the camera at normal speed. It's a cherishable moment of comic lunacy in his filmography, and whether or not you find it funny probably determines if you ever really get his sense of humor. Yes, Eric and I laughed very hard, so that's a very funny scene. Cast and crew, Lena Romay gives a fantastic performance, and Eric Falk is stunning, but the star of the film has to be Monica Swim, who is blessed here with a signature role. In real life, Swim could not be further removed from this jackbooted fascist. She was a social radical who, like many of the political fringes of French erotica, regarded pornography as a means to liberate the sexually oppressed masses and break through the lies of bourgeois relationships. Although scathing about the more mundane porno filmmakers she encountered, she loved Franco, telling sex star systems. There is at least one guy with whom I made many films, Jess Franco. It was a pleasure working for him. As for saying that they were good movies, well, that's something else. There are some that were really good, yes, but also some appalling ones. What is good about Jess Franco is that the guy is crazy about film. It is very important, because even if he's doing a crappy film in deplorable conditions, he seems first and foremost to be making a film, and it's exciting. However, with other directors, one wonders why we are here, why we are doing on set. Um, let's see. Locations. The credits state the location shooting took place in Honduras. That is untrue. Exteriors were shot at Fort Carré, a 16th century granite construction on the coastal outskirts of Antibes, France. It's a marvelous atmospheric place, desolate and ugly, a titan which broods and glowers like a character in its own right. Franco made no effort to conceal the crumbling stonework or the weeds growing between the cracks. In fact, it conveys very well the feeling that the characters have been abandoned in some decaying dead-end facility. The governor and guards act as though the world has left them alone to do as they please. 
James Bond fans will recognize Fort Kettery as the villainous Largo's Fortress and Never Say Never Again from 1983. Uh, let's see. U.S. theatrical release. Barbed Wire Dolls first turned it up in USA in April 78. It was still playing cinemas in 1983 on a double bill with Reno de Silvaresto's Women in Cell Block 7. Connections. Uh, the governess reads inside the Third Reich. Albert Spears post-war expose come apologia, linking her to the warden played by Mercedes McCambridge in Ninety Nine Women, who also owned books about Hitler. Uh, let's see. So that's the other connections to the Franco films. Um, so that's going to wrap up this portion of the Franco Observer. Listen ahead to the review portion with Eric and myself watching Barbed Wire Dolls. Uh, once again, we are now in 17. We have downloads in 17 countries. And we have listeners who have downloaded our show in 66 cities around the world. 17 countries, 66 cities. That's awesome. Thank you all for listening to the Franco Observer. And I will keep putting out an episode every week. Uh, I just picked up about another 40-something Franco films through a couple different dealers, along with the Black Friday sale here in the United States the day after Thanksgiving. Uh, I got one of the sites. The Trash Palace is doing a... uh, was doing a sale on there so i picked up some films perfect timing for that so that's good um if you want to check us out you can check us out on facebook you can add me jason rudy you can find the franco observer podcast page on facebook you can find the franco observer page on instagram you can find um our uh email address if you want to get a hold of us write us correspond Send any emails you want to us, films you want to see us review, ideas you have, any questions. You can get a hold of us at francoobserver at yahoo.com. That's F-R-A-N-C-O-O-B-S-E-R-V-E-R at Y-A-H-O-O dot com, C-O-M. francoobserver at yahoo.com. So give us, give us an email there. Like I said, find us on Facebook, at the page, Instagram, any of that good stuff. Twitter, you can look up Jason Rudy, at me, all that good stuff. Uh, So, this is episode eight. We're going to do, for the next two episodes, we're going to keep up the uh, Dietrich collection. Um, We'll do Woman Behind Bars next. We'll be episode nine. And then after that, uh, episode ten will be downtown. So... That's our um, plans on that. Oh, also, too, uh, if you're a Franco fan, on the Severn website, um, this will probably go out, though, after that sale. But hopefully you picked up one of the Just Franco tree toppers. I know I'm buying one, the Christmas tree topper. Even though I don't have a Christmas tree, I will definitely buy the Franco tree topper and uh, put it on top of my video shelf so it'll be the franco shelf topper so try to top that so top that with top that top hat bye hello and welcome again to the franco observer i am your host jason rudy and i am uh, once again joined by my co-host eric whitwell hey and uh this time for episode eight we go back to the uh, Just Franco Dietrich collaborations, and I decided to go ahead and start. Um, we kind of jumped around because we had Voodoo Passion, and then we did Sexy Sisters already, two of the um, ones he did with them. So I decided to go back and start with the first one, and uh, this is uh, Barbed Wire Dolls, which was the USA uh, title of it. Um, let me see. Let me go back to my notes here for this. This is uh, Barbed Wire Dolls. This is the 68th film that Jess Franco directed in his uh, filmography. On this, uh, it was a good good film. Uh, this is the this is uh, one of the many. I think it's like nine he did women in prison films. Um, the synopsis for this. I'm going to go ahead. 
I think on this, starting with this one, um, instead of writing down a play-by-play like a, a sporting event or a wrestling match like I'm used to in describing the films, I'm going to go ahead and take the synopsis from uh, the Stephen Thrower books and then go over the notes that we both uh, come up with for the episodes. So that might be the new way of, of going on from here. So with this, Stephen Thrower writes for the synopsis. Somewhere in South America. Having murdered her father after he tried to molest her, Maria de Guerra is sent to prison on a remote island. The penitentiary's cruel and corrupt regime is maintained by the directress, a sadistic lesbian, and Dr. Moore, actually an imposter called Carlos Costa, who murdered the real Dr. Moore and took his place. With the aid of Nestor, a sadistic prison guard, they love breaking the will of their prisoners. Another guard, Jose, is less enthusiastic in his duties, but he does as he's told. Costa and the directors subject Maria to a dose of brutal, agonizing shock treatment before incarcerating her in a cell with three other inmates, Ingrid, a nymphomaniac who masturbates constantly while fantasizing that she's the queen of an island paradise. Rosa, who has been traumatized into childlike passivity by a spell of enforced starvation, and Bertha Marcos, in prison because she murdered her brother in a fit of sexual jealousy. Of these three, only Bertha has clung to sanity. The prison's male governor lives off-site, but he too is corrupt. He occasionally visits the prison, but only to watch girls, including a prisoner called Juliet Moreau, being raped and abused by Nestor. Maria is once again electro-tortured, then ainly raped with a stick by Nestor. Realizing she's likely to die in this hellhole, she plots her escape. Together with Bertha and Rosa, she seduces Costa and then stabs him with a pair of scissors. The three women then scale the walls and escape. In the jungle, hunted down by Nestor and a female guard, Nestor rapes Bertha, but he's shot by Jose, whose misgivings have finally boiled over. Rosa attacks and kills the female guard and then makes her way with Maria to the governor's house. To their horror, they are greeted by the governor, the directress, and Costa. The directress shoots the escapees, but as the story concludes, Bertha and Jose remain at large. So that's the whole tale, basically. They told you the beginning, middle, and end. Uh, Eric, what did you think of the film? Man... I, I really liked the fact that there was no justice. Like, I just love the fact that there was no justice in it. Um, and I love that all of a sudden, like, in the middle of the movie, they come out with this plot that came out of nowhere. It just comes out of nowhere. And it just, yeah, it was, I liked it a lot. I liked it a lot. I liked the pacing. I liked it a lot. Yeah, it uh, was really well shot. Um I'm going to go over some of that later with going through the book again with notes, but kind of the notes that I made going through watching it. um, You see, he zooms in and zooms out quite a bit in the very beginning of the film of the, of the prison grounds, which was pretty funny. I was like, okay, how quick already it started. Um, Eric, Eric made a remark about how, how there was quite a few actual scenes of something before we saw nudity compared to the other films. There was actually some some exterior shots and a few establishing locations shown before there was actually any nudity shown. Yeah. You know, there's no dance. Hey, actually, this uh, this film didn't have a dance scene, did yeah, it? Yeah, there was no dancing. Yeah, scene, there was no there was no dancing in this. Unless one. the electrocution moves, like was yeah, dance. <laughs> that's about it. Or yeah. the smooth moves of uh, Nestor. Yeah, know? yeah, that that, er- that actor Eric. Uh, actually, let me grab the book and find his name. Eric Falk, yeah, Nestor, the head guard. He's the head guard. But, uh, yeah, so in this we had uh, Leon Romain as Maria de Guerra, prisoner. Uh, Paul Mueller, who I like, is almost like a poor man's Donald Sutherland. As we were watching the film, we were comparing certain people who we thought they resembled. Yeah. Uh, he's almost like a Donald Sutherland, Gary Oldman kind of guy. Um, he was Carlos Costa, also known as Dr. Moore. 
Uh, Monica Swim was the directress as the wardess, or the wardess. She had a monocle that Eric was fixated on. Yeah, it was like, it was pinched in her eye. Like, it looked really uncomfortable. Like, super uncomfortable. Yeah, and she's like the wardess or the directress, and she's like, got the German thing going. She's reading a German book and got the monocle and the writing crop. And it's funny, she's running the women's prison, and she has like the shortest short shorts that a prison <laughs> warden would ever have. Usually prison wards don't have the shortest short shorts ever. Yeah, she was wearing a negligee, like, playing cards. <laughs> yeah, that was crazy. Um, and then you had... Uh, Roger Darton as His Excellency the Governor. Uh, Ronald Weiss, older bearded guard. Martine Steedle, is one of my favorites. She was Bertha Marcos. German, she was Bertha Contrini, prisoner who killed her brother. Uh, she's been in quite a few. She's in the, the Slave. She's in Downtown. She's in this film. She's in a um, uh, uh, couple other ones off the top of my head. I can't remember. But yeah, she's in like five or six of his films at least. Um, um, Eric Falk, Nestor again, the head guard, who's in like almost all the Dietrich films. I'm noticing he's a big part of the. I don't know if Dietrich cast him in all of those films or what, because he did stuff for um, Franco and then also for Dietrich in his own films. It's, um, it's like they just like to watch him have sex. Yeah, he's he's <laughs> like yeah, he is just the epitome to sex to me because that documentary about him and his sexual philosophy. And then I'm watching that with mine. He's just he just comes in every scene he's in and just takes over the women he's supposed to, in one scene he's not to jump ahead but he's supposed to walk a woman into a room he says take her into the other room and 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 put her in there for me and i'll be there in a minute so he basically takes her in the room and like sticks his hand on the front of her shirt and starts like grabbing her boobs and like sticking his tongue in her ear and making out with her and it's like <laughs> no he said just walk her into the room don't fucking molest her jesus christ you know he just can't control himself man yeah he's just totally sex personified um Peggy Markoff, as Peggy Markoff, was Ingrid, Queen Isabella. Um, I'll, she's She actually is the fourth. She commits the fourth C, but I'll talk about that later. She's uh, just a total um, nymphomaniac, like I said. Um, uh, let's see. And then you had uh, Ramon Ardreda's Jose, the younger bearded guard. Um, Benny Cardosa played Rosa, the deranged prisoner. And then they had uh, uncredited... Was Jess Franco as Maria's father? It's funny. Jess Franco always has really interesting cameos. And this one is probably the most perverted one because his girlfriend Lena Romay. In this film, he plays her father that like sexually molests her, and she rebukes his advances. And she's naked. And uh, yeah, we'll me and Eric will talk about the scene he's in later. But yeah, just say right now he's creepy. Yeah, like, and his his acting will we'll get to when that scene happens. But yeah, yeah. okay, so. Um, but yeah, like Eric enjoyed it. I actually really liked it too. I thought it was good. Um, the stories were good. A lot of nudity in it. Uh, Leon Romay, Martins in it. All all the prisoners are nude in it. They're all beautiful women. Um, that part was really really good. Um, so yeah, like in the beginning, you have uh, Monica Swim and Paul Mueller and Eric Nestor as Nestor, and then the Galapagos Rosa. They're in the opening scene and. Uh, with the solitary confinement things. Um, I really liked the clay walls of the prison. I thought it looked really good. Um, Eric noticed that the bars, again, were wood, and you could see the bottom of it, they were spray-painted black. And some scenes, in the other scene where they're looking through the window, through the bars, those are like a spray-painted black foam. Yeah. So you had foam ba black bars, and then the uh, flat black lacquer spray-painted wood Bars. Yeah, it's like they didn't even put like a second coat on it. It's just like they put one coat and done because you could still see the grains of the wood. Yeah, yeah. You know? it was, and even the base where it's supposed to be steel, that was wood as well. So that I thought that was pretty cool. So, I mean, and not goofing on it, but like as a low-budget filmmaker, I thought that was kind of cool to see yeah. how they got away with stuff and people didn't notice. Um, uh, let's see. There's a lot of drum music in this. Uh, talked about uh, Monica Swim's The Shortest Short Shorts for a Prison Guard. Um he had a cool shot that I thought was cool. Uh, Eric agreed too. He had, he had mentioned that um, the uh, first torture of Lena Romay, where she's on her stomach, uh, chained up against the bed springs without a without a mattress, kind of like they did in I think it was like Rambo: First Blood two or three, uh, with a, like where he's getting tortured and they it's it's similar. She's on her stomach and she's uh, and then she's naked and he has her chained up and she's getting shocked and the 
the lights go off and on and it goes black and white and then uh, he does a cool panning shot across the bars and it changes the focus where it comes in and out of focus across the black bars and the bars kind of move from the middle of the screen to left and right it's really a cool uh, artistic shot in what this is going on and the, the whole setup was nice you know yeah the whole the whole way he would uh, like fade in and fade out to the uh, the current like the electric current like all of a sudden the screen would just go black as the electric current would die down and then it'd come back up as it you know she was getting shocked again and yeah it was a really cool effect like simple but really cool like and then one scene that uh, was before that that Eric remarked he liked in the very beginning when they're bringing Lena Romay in, you see the plane fly over and you see the redheaded girl Rosa sitting in the window. Yeah, she was just sitting there like humming. But there was like this guitar sound in the back, like the background music was just like boom, boom. And then all of a sudden it just screamed, like just shot onto her sitting in the window bars. And she started humming. And it's like really, it just it fits so perfectly with the, with the background music that it was a... Uh, yeah, I really dug it. It's like, yeah, really one of my favorite scenes in the movie. Yeah, and it's cool. And then, like, she's, like, sitting in the bar. It's kind of like a caged bird. And then you see the plane fly over, and the plane's like an uncaged bird. It's like freedom. And she's stuck behind those bars, you know. Yeah. And she was shocked so many times or beaten or raped or whatever that now she's very childlike and very innocent. Oh, she's goofy as fuck. Like, the yeah. whole rest of the movie, she's just goofy. Yeah, because <laughs> you, you see her in the beginning, she's on all fours, and her hair's down, and She's in solitary confinement and with Eric as Eric Falk as Nestor and they're whipping her and beating the shit out of her and stuff and torturing her. Yeah, she has some like form of sanity right then still. You know, like I need the food, give me the food and you know, but then after that, man, she's just gone. She's just gone. And I hate that he has the same name as me. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's always a funny joke. It's like always the creepy scary guy. It's like, Oh, why is he gonna be named after me? That yeah. totally sucks, you know. But whatever. That's kinda like meant to be, you know. Um <laughs> fate it was, it was fate yeah yeah exactly so uh then uh, another cool shot that he pulled off after that was a scene where uh they take a gal that's last name Moreau into this and they take her to the governor's room where Eric uh basically sexually assaults her and the governor wants to watch and they film it all into a mirror and um in this one of course there's a lot of zoom and close-ups of uh, female genitalia so in this it's cool he has a shot whereas the mirror tilts you basically see her vagina and then when he tilts the mirror back you don't see it you just see her from the waist up and he kind of tilts the mirror back and forth a few times and uh and eric eric caught that too he had mentioned that this was shot a lot in um, reflections and mirrors and you see mirrors in a lot in, in a lot of the scenes and that's like with Voodoo Passion too, that room with all the mirrors in the bathroom, yeah. all the mirrors in that bedroom and stuff. And that's a Dietrich film too, so I think that adds style and adds layers and there's that is kind of a cool artistic touch with that. Um let's see what else do we have? Uh uh spray painted black wood we marked on that. Um so then basically uh there's a part where a note gets out and they're trying to figure out who it was and uh, it's Bertha that they find out that's been passing the note. But the director, uh, Monica Swim's character, the warden, she wants to bring her in for questioning. So she tries to seduce her, and she quickly tells her that it was her that passed the note to the guard. But she, when Monica Swim, or when uh, Bertha comes in, she's supposed to be a virgin. So the warden basically has to check her to see if she still has her hymen. So she's, like, putting her fingers up inside of her and such, and she says... Uh, she realizes that she had sex with one of the guards, even though she, Bertha said she didn't. And so she goes, someone's been picking cherries. <laughs> and to me, that was the highlight line of the of the film, which was pretty goofy. You know? so. And then like when she seduces her, like the girl's standing there, and she just literally goes down and just sticks her face right into her ass. Like, yeah. Just... <laughs> yeah, after, she's, after she exa examines her, then she just basically... Actually, I think with her monocle on, she buries her face in her ass, <laughs> and then she gives in to her, and then she has her beat, beat her, and she, uh, 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 Bertha's character has Bertha, like, uh, role play with her, and she climbs on top of her, and they start fucking around, and she slaps her and hits her in the face and knocks her monocle off, and then she gets pissed off and then has uh, Jose take her away to solitary confinement and punishes her because she called her a slut or whatever, because, I don't know. <laughs> I guess she enjoyed it and she didn't she didn't want that because she's supposed to be in charge yeah 
So that's but yeah, the the warden character was very interesting. There's some plot points that we'll bring up as we get to there that Erica asked me about. It's like, hey, yeah, you're right. How does she have the time for these things? Um, so then, uh, uh, see, Bertha's in solitary confinement, and then uh, they go to the uh, governor's house. Or, and then, uh, yeah, Bertha's in solitary confinement, and they move her to the governor's house, and then uh, Eric sexually molests her as well. <laughs> Not Eric, my co-host. Yeah, I, I but, hate yeah. that it's in my name. Yeah. Like, so actually, Eric, Eric sexually molests her. <laughs> you know, but I think it has to do with the name. I think, but no. yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's like the the name Lester in in Germany. <laughs> exactly. Um, and then uh, as that's going on, you see Lena, uh, Lena Romay's character, uh, uh, Maria. She has a flashback scene where. Um, uh, where you see that her father, you, you basically see that what happens to her, how she's in jail, um, and then she's basically naked on a bed, and je- and uh, Jesus Franco plays her father, and he comes in with a cool like '70s button-up shirt, long sleeve, and that, and um, he uh, comes on to her. She's naked in bed with nothing on, with just a pillow, and she's like, "Dad, what's going on?" And he starts trying to touch her, and and then she re, she fights his advances back, and they're fighting in slow motion, and all their punches. So we thought that she stabbed him, but she like hits him real slow, and he opens his mouth real slow, and we thought, well maybe he's gonna kiss her like Jack Taylor did, but then he just it's his sell it's his yelling or his selling of the move, yelling in slow motion with no sound. And he does a spin fall, and they both move in slow motion. And she, and he fall. He hits his head on the chimney, and falls back. But he falls back in like twenty five steps. Like, moves to his <laughs> knee, moves to his butt, puts his hand down, braces himself, moves the thing, moves out to the right, moves to the left, and then finally lays down. And it's so comical. And then while that's going in something slow motion, the chandelier swinging in real time. Yeah. And then Lena breaks character and runs off the screen. Instead of running in slow motion, she just breaks character and runs in full speed. So it kills the scene, even when Franco's like... It was hilarious. Yeah. That was the most funny, awkward scene I think I've ever seen in my life. Like, the moving in slow motion. Like, it was not graceful. It was not... It didn't look like slow motion. It looked like he was moving slow. And, yeah, but then you have the lamp that's just swinging back and forth, you know, and... It was hilarious. It was so unnecessary and hilarious. I love the fact that that was done. Yeah, it uh, <laughs> it was so just comical and I don't know. And he committed to it all the way through. And I don't know. As a director, if I was editing that scene, I would have had to do it again or just yeah. cut it out of the film and just implied things. He left it. Yeah, he just left the whole thing in there, which was like just terrible. It was awesome. Um, let's see. Uh, okay, so then after that, we see. Uh, The nympho Peggy Marcotte as uh, Ingrid, the nymphomaniac um, guard. I mean, the uh, um, the prisoner. Uh, she's when she's watching Lena have her laying in bed while she's remembering that, fantasizing it or having a dream, or whatever. She's uh, Franco decides to throw in another unnecessary masturbatory scene, so he has her suddenly overcome because she just wants to fuck everybody in the scene. The um, Isabella and she uh, lights up a cigarette and decides to take the cigarette from her mouth and I thought she was going to have her um, have her vagina smoke the cigarette but she didn't do that she, she ended up taking the cigarette and Eric was shocked by it being lit he's yeah. like it's a lit cigarette it's, it's, it's lit and she rubs her clit with the lit cigarette <laughs> well you know especially with the with the bushes they had back then like that that just seemed very dangerous you know yeah she's got a lot of oil or spray tan thing on her or something she's very golden or kind of orange very flammable so and then when this happened i had this sudden spark not from the cigarette but the spark <laughs> of my head like oh my god this is the fourth c i had brought together the three c's now this is the fourth c of the so so far from these i think they're all the dietrich films too um that there's always a masturbatory scene with the object with the letter C. 
we had cucumber and um, white skin, black thighs. We had the champagne bottle in uh, Voodoo Passion. And we had the candle and sexy sisters. So that was the cucumber C, champagne C, candle C. And this, we had the cigarette. It's the fourth C. <laughs> so, yeah, this is something with masturbating with some objects with the letter C. So if you have a bingo card, this would be four out of five. Uh, we'll see if... Actually, the, the free square in the middle. So, yeah, you would probably have a bingo if you were doing the uh, masturbatory bingo scene. Um Let's see. It sounds like a fun game. Yeah. Masturbatory bingo. Yeah, spot, <laughs> yeah, if you could catch this. So, yeah, it was, that, I don't know. I, I I don't know if that's a, per, if it was on purpose, if it was just throw the masturbatory scene in and with this object and not realizing that they all started with the word C or, I don't know. That's interesting, but that's something that I caught. And, some, and then they have a second shock scene with Lena was really well shot again. They repeated that scene. Um, and uh, a couple of little things that I caught that were uh, bloopers um, outside of their prison cells. It's supposed to be the sky, and once again you see the walls and about two or three of the different ones. The main uh, three girls, their cell, uh, the doctor's uh, operating room area, and I believe the um, one of the other ones. And then uh, there's a scene where the warden is, is talking to uh, the doctor's character, and he's outside speaking to her, and she has her back to him, and she's looking out to the sea. But when she has her dialogue scenes, she's facing the camera, and you see two people in her monocle, even though she's supposed to be facing outward. Um, and then another thing I caught was when they have the prison escape scene, uh, when Lena and uh, the two other women are walking, Rosa and um, Bertha are walking toward the camera, you see a crew member on the left hand side of the screen. And uh, that's at about an hour thirteen about an hour thirteen minutes. You see a crew member on the left hand side of the screen, so you can check that and see the person standing in the shot. And then they move off to the left, move off to the left again, and then Franco moves the camera off to the right to try to crop them out, but they've already been spotted. So yeah, um, that was left in. <laughs> yeah, that was just left in. Another another uh, miscue. I don't know what right word would that be? Um, but. Now, this is the cool Lena scene of the film. Um, so then basically after all that goes on, they Lena decides to like, stage the prison break to get the fuck out because she knows she's going to be killed in there and if, she, if she stays in the prison. But, you know, as we know about the ending, she still gets killed. So, but yeah, during the jail, jail break, after killing the doctor, Lena does a great uh, repelling stunt nude down the wall. Um, the other two actresses don't do it, but they, they escape with her. So it's implied that they do it, but Lena is the one that actually does the stunt. And, uh, yeah, and, and, uh, it's, it's really cool. She throws a rope down and she has just her prison smock on and she's nude and she jumps down the tree and almost loses her, her smock and then still breaks down and comes, comes down and you see it all in, in like one take. So, and it was a real stunt. Oh you know? yeah. No, she came down that rope fast, dude. Like through the branches, like leaves were falling. Like, yeah, she, she, she committed to, to that stunt. Yeah. It, 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 it looked it, good. It totally looked really good. Um, and in this, you hear tropical birds in the very first scene when you see the prison, and then you see you hear the birds again when they do the uh, the jailbreak scene. Uh, it's not really excessive like he has in the other films, but you know that's one thing I always hear. Oh, here here comes the tropical bird kill. Yeah. So that 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 was kind of fun. Here's the tropical birds next to the cactus. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that that's basically was about the notes on that. Um, There's one scene that I thought was totally funny, and it made no sense at all. It made no sense. So there was a scene like when the warden, the doctor. And um, the governor, they're all sitting around drinking tea and they're talking about what, you know, we got to get this girl. We think we know who she is. All of a sudden, it just zooms in onto like the tea kettle and there's a picture of Minnie Mouse on the tea kettle, like serving French toast. Like it made no sense. Like this is this hardcore, torturous prison where they're electrocuting women and they're drinking tea out of a Minnie Mouse teapot. That makes no sense. Yeah, I was... uh... (laughs) Looking down, writing notes, and Eric's like, "What the hell? What's what?" And then I had to I rewind it to watch that part because it was it was very odd. He goes, "That makes no sense." And, but it's cool because they they obviously had that prop. Frank probably thought it was cool, and he just like shot that for the scene and go, cuts from the Minnie Mouse to the next scene of uh, uh, Bertha's laying on a uh, bed, I think, in the doctor's office, or uh, Alina's character is laying there in the scene. But it was a cool cut from Minnie Mouse serving, like yeah. you said, to 
to the naked girl laying in the bed. Disney has nothing to do with this movie. Yeah. <laughs> so. Or maybe they maybe they paid to have their their product placed in there. <laughs> Is there any notes you had or anything else that you uh, wrote about that you might want to we'll, throw in? Yeah, well, just the the thing that we were we were talking. I don't know if we we're going to talk about this later, but. Um, when it when it comes out with the plot, like in the the wardeness is like telling like, well, this is what was happening, you know. Um, she's like, well, yes, you know, I came in and I was dating her father. I was sleeping with her father, and um, she's like, and I came Wait, home. Hold on a second. Yeah. So Eric's basically saying that the warden, the wardeness, the governess, the lady of the monocle. She's basically giving the backstory about how Lena Romay's character got there. She's telling the story, and she's and then. Uh, She's basically talking about how she knew Jess Franco's character, the father, and then the daughter. Go ahead. Yeah, and so she just talks about how she she came, she went to his apartment one day, and she sees her new daughter, his new daughter, running away, and she sees him on the ground, and she realized like why he hadn't been paying as much attention to her like lately, and so she sees her. That's right. She says, "I dated him, and he was a, a morous beast." So she's like. And it's funny, too, because she's putting him over in a positive way. Like, he was such a stud, and, like, they fucked all the time. And, like, it's like, <laughs> and she's saying this about the director of the film's character. So, of course, he's like, yeah, I'm going to write that. Yeah, I had a big dick, even. I mean, she doesn't say that. Yeah. But basically, could well have said that. It's like putting himself over to the extreme. Yeah, but it was just funny because, like, she's like, yeah. And then, you know, basically, she took the credit for killing him and blaming her and putting her in prison. But you're like, how does she have time to go date? Like, this is a... Like she's a she's on this prison island. Like she's, yeah, she, she doesn't seem like the type of person that goes out, and meets people, and goes on dates. You know what I mean? Yeah, because they're like in this tropical area, and it's kind of like a fortress, and it's like a castle keep kind of place. So you're like, okay, they probably live on this island, but then you realize that, like he's saying, she had an affair with Jess Franco's character, and you don't know if that was on the same island or what. And they had sex for a long time, even though she's like the only. It's like her and like three guards and the doctor run the whole place and maybe the governor outside. So it's so minimal. How would she have time to go do all these things? And if Lena Romay's character was arrested and went to trial and sent to jail, that would be like at least a couple months. So like she had this going on for a couple of years or a year where it was and then killed and the trial to set up just to get more revenge on him and then bring her in and all that time. It just that part was a very odd plot choice yeah it just came out of nowhere too there's all of a sudden she's like well let me tell you the story and you're just like whoa okay I did not see that coming because yeah she's not a girl that goes on dates you know what I mean like she has female prisoners slap her and call her names yeah it's almost like that part could have been from another film or something and like they decided to put it in for this or it, it just it didn't fit like they could have had it as a shorter thing, like he was a guard here or something, or made yeah. some kind of a logical connection. But yeah, the logic behind it did not gel, you know. Yeah, the character doesn't seem like it. But it was just yeah, and it's so funny that that's what I really actually I really liked about it because I I like movies that don't necessarily have to have a happy ending, and I like the fact that this uh, this poor girl lived in a convent, then comes home to her father after all these time, and he tries to molest her. She runs away thinks that she's murdered him, sent to a hardcore prison where she's being tortured, and then gets shot by the lady who actually killed her father and got her put in prison. Like, it's so funny. Like, it's... I love that ending. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those, like, 70s downbeat endings, which, you know, was, like, really cool with, like, The Wild Bunch and Bonnie and Clyde and all those. It's from, like, 68 to the mid-70s, and this is 75, so that's, you know, right on the tail end yeah. of that. Um, but, yeah, like... Um, Visually, I think uh, uh, Martine Steedle is like, I don't know, maybe like her, Lena Romay, and um, Soldat Miranda, probably my top three Franco beauties. And uh, to see Martine and uh, Lena together was pretty hot. <laughs> they're gorgeous. They're absolutely gorgeous. Absolutely yeah. gorgeous. And they're like new together and next to each other and yeah. As God intended. Yeah, it was uh, one of those scenes where if this was playing at a dark theater back in the day, I'm sure there'd be a lot of uncomfortable rustling around in the, in the theater seats. Paul Rubens would be in the theater. <laughs> yeah. But uh, Martine Steele, man, that's, she's just goddamn man, just such a beautiful woman. 
But uh, yeah, so anyway, that that's that's me professing my love for Martine. So. Yeah. But yeah, so yeah, th- this is cool. This is, uh, I think, the first Lena Romay film that you've seen of the ones that we've reviewed. I I think so. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, that's cool because yeah. I'm like hyping her up and, and showing her pictures, and Eric's like, oh yeah, oh yeah, and it's so funny. I get to finally see her in in like one of the films. So yeah, uh, and you know, like they're beautiful, but they're also really good actresses. Like yeah. they, they actually, yeah, yeah. they play their parts very well. They uh, I know it's very sexist to me. Sorry. Oh no 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 no. It's, uh, <laughs> No, it's, yeah, well, that goes without saying. But yeah, the, Martine, she's always she's always like a doe-eyed uh, character, but she's also very strong, and she uh, uh, is very German in, in, in her appearances, and she's just very smooth and very, very, uh, very strong and very striking. And then, of course, Lena is like superwoman. She can do anything, and, and she jumps into everything with both claws out, you know. And she's, and she's strong. She carries the film, and... Paul Mueller's really good in this, and uh, Monica Swim's really good in this, and probably, I mean, I know Eric didn't see Bloody Moon, but Jess Franco as the psychiatrist, and that was maybe my favorite one, but in this, uh, this is the, the sleaziest Jess Franco cameo, as <laughs> his, yeah. I want to I got, I was, I want to watch that scene again, I was kind of like, yeah, I, I just want to loop that scene. That That's one of the, seriously, that's like one of the goofiest fucking deaths I don't know. Act. It's just bizarre. You have to watch that. So yeah, yeah I, I, I do definitely recommend this film for many reasons. But uh, and it's funny too because like before I knew of Franco, I thought Barbed Wire Dolls was like I knew it was a, a prison film, but I thought it was like a Nazi thing and it was rougher. And this, besides the shock scenes and some of the beating, it was uh, I guess and the rape and stuff. That's bad too. But <laughs> but I mean, besides all that evil and and depravity. It wasn't as depraved as I thought it was going to be. Yeah. And it was a little softer, a little more sexy, which was cool. That's more Franco's style. He's not really, I mean, he does sleazy and depraved, but he doesn't go as sadistic, I think, as other other directors that, have, that do the same material do. And that's another reason why I like Franco. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, as, a, as, a, as a low-budget filmmaker, I, I, I got some cool ideas from watching this, really, really cool shots looked at the um, smallness of his locations and what he achieved for his interiors and the beauty of the exterior shots and what those lead to the production and uh, lead to the production value of the film. Um, yeah, I I enjoyed it. Uh, what did you think, Eric? You, yeah, this you is a, Actually, this is a good movie. This is a movie that I would invite friends over to watch. Like, yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's definitely a movie. Yeah, oh, it's, it's funny. There's good acting. The other thing, I'm sorry, it just, it just popped in my head. Yeah. It's a... Just one of those things you're just like, wait, what's going on? Like uh, when they're being chased by Eric and they're being oh, and yeah. the female guard, like the shows them like chasing after him and she's wearing a shirt. It's unbuttoned, but she's wearing a shirt. Yeah, the, the guard he's talking about earlier in the film was a prisoner that you see in there, the, uh, one of the female prisoners. Because there's a couple scenes where you see more than the four or five women. There's like a group of 50 or 20 women and she's one of them and later on in the film she doubles as one of the guards yeah go ahead yeah so like, all of a sudden you see her like she's running after her with a, a shirt unbuttoned and then all of a sudden when they pop out of the corner like haha we got you they're both completely topless like they're both just standing there completely topless it's like when did she lose her shirt while she was running you know with the with the gun around her you know what I mean like it's just it had no made no sense it was awesome yeah the girls uh, got beautiful like D-cup breasts and, sh- and just amazing body and she's wearing these like bell-bottom cool jeans and you're just like Franco just must admire her boobs and he's like okay well you have to be topless and I'll find a way for you to be topless in the film okay you're going to be topless as you're hunting down escaped prisoners another thing too that I'm glad he brought that up because one thing I was laughing about is uh, the character of that character uh, uh, of uh, a Nestor played by Eric Falk about how he's just sex personified all the way through um when the three women are doing their escape and he's there with the beautiful woman that he's talking about, the uh, guard with the big boobs, which he could have been having sex with, but instead he goes out with her to find the three escapees. And uh, um, he's so taken by Bertha, um, um, Martine's character, that he lets the other two women escape while he decides to throw her down on the... Uh, Sticky or the thorns and yeah needles. the thorns and <laughs> fucking dry brush on the ground yeah. and like basically uh, rapes her and then Jose like we talked about in the synopsis he comes in and uh, yells at Nestor and Nestor looks up at him and then he shoots him with a fucking machine gun while he's on top of 
uh, Martine's uh, character. And uh, so he, like, shoots, instead of telling her to, like, get up and then shoot the guy to kill him, he basically, like, shoots him when he's on top of her, basically, like, inches away from her. He's probably inside of her when he's getting shot. Yeah, and he easily could have killed her while shooting, like, that close with the fucking machine gun. I started laughing because that's just so stupid. Like, dude, it's just sloppy. And, of course, you don't see any of the blood and... And Eric's like, yeah, she'd probably be covered with blood, the blood pouring out of the monitor. You don't see any of that. Yeah, what a horrific, you know, what a horrific <laughs> moment to have. Like, not only are you, now, like, you're escaping, and now all of a sudden you're getting raped by this guy, but now he's just blown to smithereens on top of you, like. Yeah, and then you're getting the gunshot. So it's like that. It never goes back to normal. <laughs> I'd say that death scene and the Jess Franco death scene are the two funniest things to me in the film that were like, what the fuck? That's just, you know, yeah. goofy, goofy. So, um, so yeah, so uh, the next uh, episode, we're going to do the next film in the series. Uh, wi- um, it is Women Behind Bars. Yeah, that's going to be the next one. That'll be episode nine. And then followed by episode 10 will be downtown. So. And this concludes episode eight of The Frank Observer. Thanks again for joining. My name is Jason Rudy, and this is my co-host, Eric Whitwell, saying good night. Good night. night. Beautiful nights. Mm